Good morning, everybody doing okay? You guys good? Good? All right, appreciate that. At the five last night, I was like, hey, everyone good? And there's like a cough in the back over here, and that was, that was about my only response. And I was like, okay, all right. We'll work, work with that. So uh, glad you guys are here. We've been working through a book of the Bible called Ephesians. If you have never been to this church before, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible, go through them word for word, line by line, verse by verse, until we're done with them. Um, oddly enough, this is a, a short book, and I've done, man, somewhere like 32, 33. I've kind of lost track how many books of the Bible we've done, more than half, over the last 13 years. And, and this is the first time we've ever done this. And it's interesting because it's not overtly complicated. It's a pretty simple book of the Bible. It's pretty short. It's very, very impactful and, and um, huge in the Christian faith. And I don't know why it took me so long to do it, but we'll wrap it up today. Next week, we will start on the book of James. Um, and we'll do that. I've done that before. It'll be right after Thanksgiving. So you, you can come in here in your turkey coma and sleep while I teach James chapter one. So, uh, and, and we'll start working our way through that book of the Bible. And, um, but if you haven't been here, let me catch you up a little bit. So Ephesians is a letter. I said this at the other services, and I don't know why, it just popped into my head. Originally, when, when the, the, these different churches would have gotten these letters, you know, they didn't have chapters, they didn't have verses. We added that in hundreds and hundreds of years later, and there's nothing wrong with that. It just helps us study it. But this would have been a letter written to whole groups of people in different areas, and they would sit down and they would read the entire letter, typically out loud to, to the congregations that, that Paul was writing to, or Peter, or whomever was writing the different letters. This particular letter, written to a group of churches in Western Turkey, kind of on the coast of West Turkey, between Greece, or I'm sorry, on the, on the other side of the Aegean Sea from, from Greece. And um, it was written specifically to this church. They were not doing anything wrong, but Paul was concerned that bad teaching would start to creep into the church because they lived in an area culturally much like the area we live in now. It was a very intellectual area. It was a very affluential area, which means they had a lot of money, um, but it was also a very sinful area. And there was a lot of confusing teaching going on. So Paul was worried about that, so he wrote this letter. And the first three chapters are basically saying that we're saved by grace through faith. That's kind of the linchpin verse in chapter two. So the first three chapters, all, all Paul is saying is, remember, remember who God is, remember who you are in God, and remember that you are saved, not by anything you've done, but because God loves you. That's why you're saved, right? Giving your life to God and, and he loves you. You're saved by grace through faith. Chapters four and five, Paul's basically saying, because you've been saved by grace, we are to live at a certain standard. We're to walk in a newness of life. We're to live at a certain standard. Why? Because when we're saved, we understand who we are in God. And when we understand who we are in God, you understand how valuable you are to God. So we live at a high level because you're valuable, right? Especially to your creator. In chapter five, not only do we talk about imitating God, we talked about that last week, the big kind of takeaway from last week is when we are submitted to God, we are also submitted to each other. And this is tough for us, right? Because we're humans, it's tough. And so there are three different kinds of relationships that God says we are to be submitted in. Our, our marriage, our relationship with our children, so families, and our workplace. And this essentially covers all people, right? That we are to be submissive and, and submitted to each other, mutually submitted in these three different kinds of relationships. So we're gonna cover the second two today, how we are submitted in our families, how we're to be submitted in our workplace. Now we're gonna talk about something very, very famous 
and it's, it's, it's quite simple. I'm gonna be very, very underwhelming today. So uh, just, to, just to warn you on the, the front end, we're gonna talk about putting on the armor of God, and that's a very famous thing that is talked about in the New Testament, one of the more famous things in the book of Ephesians. And all that simply means, I'm just gonna just deflate everything, right? All putting on the armor of God simply means is not only are we reading the word of God and knowing what is correct, are we doing what is correct? So if you're about to go into battle, it's not enough to say, I know that's armor right there. You have to pick it up and put it on if you're going to be protected. This is simple stuff. It's the same thing with the truth, right? You can have all the knowledge of the truth, that's what the Bible is, you can have all this knowledge, but if we do not live it, James, the book that we're about to start next week, he says, it's not enough to be hearers of the word, we must be doers of the word. James even says it's not enough to have faith because faith without action is dead. It's not worth anything. It has to do both of these things. That's essentially all we're talking about today. Again, if you're new here, I, only, I say the same three things every single weekend. I've been doing this for 13 years. Pray, read your Bible, and do what it tells you to do. That's what I say to you guys every single week. That, I mean, please come back next week. <laughs> but I'm saying that's pretty much, it's pretty much all the Bible tells us to do for the most part, okay? And by the way, you're welcome for this picture. I felt like this was a very happy picture to start off with. You're gonna have as much fun this morning as this kid is right here on this guy's shoulders here. That's, that's how you're gonna feel about halfway through the sermon. You're like, man, this is wonderful. So uh, anyways, I just like this picture. I think it's a good way to start. And uh, <laughs> you, you, would be, you would be very impressed with how much thought I, I put into the pictures I picked for my PowerPoint. I go through many, many pictures. It's the 11 o'clock. We can hang out for a little bit, guys. So I, 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 I skimmed through lots of pictures. And, and this one just spoke to me. This guy's really happy. Look how happy she is. Anyways, it's just a good picture to start off with. Okay, all right. You should have got a note stand out when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna say will be in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, just click on Sermon Notes. It's all right there. So my eyes are kind of watery today because of allergies. So if I can't see my page and I just kind of start speaking nonsensical rambling, it's good to have those notes in front of you to, to understand where we're going. So, all right, let me, let me pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for everyone that's in this room this morning. Thank you, God, that we have a safe, warm environment where we could come in and we can worship freely and we can, we can, we can read the word and study it freely. I pray, God, this morning that you just keep your hand on us. We need you desperately, God, desperately, especially in the times we live in, Lord, we need you desperately. I pray, God, that you not only keep your hand on us, I pray that you keep your hand on every church in our city. I pray that you keep your hand on our other campuses and the churches in those cities. And I pray, God, that as we just study your word today, Lord, I, I just pray that it honors you and blesses you and brings us closer to you, not only in our knowledge, God, but, but in our practice, how we live. Lord, keep your hand on us, God. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name, amen. I expect a lot of amens from you, from you parents after this first part here. Here we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because that is right. Amen. There it is. <laughs> Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in this land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so we've talked about submission in marriage. There is also mutual submission in our families. 
Um, of course, this is just very self-explanatory and, and, and very simple stuff. Of course, children are to obey their parents because this is right. Why is that right? Because it is one of the 10 commandments. It is right because I believe it's the fifth commandment in the book of Exodus. But listen, even if you're not a Christian in here and you just found yourself in this room this morning, even if you're not a Christian, nature itself tells us that the offspring should do what the parents say to do because one is an adult and one is a, a child. They're immature, right? So even natural law tells us this. The Old Testament tells us this, and right here in the New Testament, it tells us that we are to, to, to honor and to recognize parental authority, okay? So where is the mutual submission in that? The mutual submission is, yes, the parents are to be, or I'm sorry, the children are to be submitted to the parents, but the parents are to be in the Lord, which means we are to be leading our children ethically, of course, legally, and morally and spiritually correct. It even goes so far to say that parents, it says fathers, but this is for both parents, we are to not stir up anger in our children. I love some of your translations, if you use a different translation of the Bible, I love some translations use the word provoke. I like that. That we are to not provoke our children. Essentially what that means is we are the adult, they are the child, and we are to not go down to their level when there is conflict or issues or arguments or whatever. We are to set an example. We're to take the high road because they're children and we're adults, right? And we're to act like adults. I'm not trying to be mean right now. And if this hurts your feelings, I'm sorry, but it's, but it's for your good. Your parents do, or I'm sorry, your kids do not need you to be their best friends. Your kids need you to be their parents. They have plenty of friends without you, right? But they only have you as a mom or you as a dad and they need you in that respect, right? They need you to discipline them. They need you to correct them. They need you to lead them in that manner because they are looking up to you, right? And all, so many of us in this room have been negatively affected by negligent parents or abusive parents, and we see the long-term effects of that. So that brings up the next point. What if the authority in our life whether it be a spouse, whether it be a, a, a parent, whether it be a, an abusive boss at work, whatever the case may be, what do we do when they're corrupt? What do we do when they're not what they're supposed to be? So in, in a parent-child relationship, if the parent is not in the Lord and doing what they're supposed to be doing, if they're negligent and, and if they're abusive in some way, in any relationship we have, we first adhere to the teachings of the Bible. So even if, if, if we cannot do what our parents ask of us because it contradicts the Bible, if we are obeying our heavenly father first, we are not breaking the fifth commandment. I should have said this last week when it comes to marriage as well. Just because we are to, women are to respect their husbands and men are to love their, their wives like Christ loves the church, if someone is abusive or if someone is, is negligent and abandons a spouse, if someone is, is chronically cheating on a spouse, the Bible gives us, gives us reason to get out of those kinds of relationships. That's common sense. And so ultimately, we are to follow God first. This even applies to things like our government. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13 to honor the governing authorities. We are to follow the law of the land as Christians. But if that law ever tells us to contradict the Bible, ultimately, we always follow the Bible first. And so we have to do the right thing. Of course, we show love and respect to the best of our abilities, but we cannot go against God's directives. And so Paul says 
If, if children will obey their parents, they will have a long life in the land. Some of you might have threatened your children in, in such ways, right? Brought you into this world type, type things, right? But what Paul is saying is this, is that if we as parents, I have two kids, if we raise our children in the proper teachings and trainings of God to fear the Lord, to respect the Lord, to submit themselves to God, they will grow up to be good humans, right? And when they grow up to be good humans, this is not an, an absolute promise, it says this is a commandment with a promise, but it's a general promise. If we raise our kids correctly, more than likely they will literally live longer. They will live not only longer lives most of the time, they will live more peaceful, content lives. Because if we raise our kids correctly, and please don't anyone, I'm not saying you're a bad parent if this has happened to you, but if we raise our kids correctly, more than likely they will not be drug addicts, they will not be criminals, they will not live recklessly and carelessly, therefore living a better life, right? And probably a longer life, a more fulfilling life. Very, very practical application when it comes to this mutual submission in the family. Now, this may be the, the, the most difficult, is submission in the workplace. This is what the Bible says. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched. There's a little conviction there. As people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Okay, so let's address a false narrative. If you have any friends that are non-believers, and I hope you do, sometimes people who are non-believers will bring up arguments like, well, I can't possibly buy into Christianity because Christianity condones slavery. Now, there is two forms of ignorance that a, that a comment like that comes from. One, those people have not read the Bible. Most people who tell you the Bible is not correct have never read the Bible. And that's the first argument. The second one is it is historically ignorant because this particular letter was written in the height of the Roman Empire. In the height of the Roman Empire, about 60% of all Romans were slaves in some form or fashion. The majority of the population was in some kind of indentured servitude or flat out slavery. So the Bible does not condone slavery in any form or fashion. What the Bible does is it offers ethical Christian practices in cultures where slavery did exist or still exists. So in our culture, slavery does not exist. Some of the, you, you may argue that with your job situation, but, but slavery in the way that we know slavery does not exist in the United States. So we can still take these principles though and apply them to our workplace. And the first thing we can apply to our workplaces, wherever we work, no matter what the situation is, no matter what the environment is, we are told to have a good attitude at work. I laugh at that because customer service in the United States is dead, absolutely dead, correct? I don't know if some of that's just getting older. You get like in your mid 40s and you're like, you know, nothing's as good as it was when I was 25, you know, and I was kind of a punk at 25 too, but we forget that as we get older. And so, so we are to have a good attitude. If we are Christians, and we work with people, 
We're to have a good attitude around people. We're also to be known as the hardest workers in our work environments. That if we are Christians and we're chronically late, if we are lazy, if we're gossiping, if we're wasting time, we have to understand that we are representing Christ before we're representing Amazon or Walmart or Nissan or wherever we may work. Ultimately, we are representing Christ and we need to make sure that we are good representatives of Christ. We also need to know this. If we have a good attitude, if we work hard, even if no one ever notices, God notices. And he will repay. And ultimately, we are working for him, okay? So here's the beautiful thing about God. God sees everything. And when we hear that, we, we instantly think negative, right? He sees all the bad things that I do that no one else sees. He does. He also sees all the good things that you do that no one else sees. And he rewards and honors that as well. So we as employees, good attitude and work hard, okay? It's pretty simple stuff. Employers, masters, are to have the exact same attitude towards their staff or to the people that they lead. We are to treat our subordinates, right? If you, and listen, all of you are going to be in some position of leadership in some form or fashion in your life. And when we have people that, that are underneath us, if you will, we are to treat them with respect. We are to have good attitudes. We are to lead them in non-threatening ways, which means we do not lord our position over them. And there is balance in this. Well, Corey, what if my boss is terrible? You don't have to stay at that job. You can turn in your two weeks notice and you can quit in a Christ-like manner and find a better job. You know, don't like hang up the apron and do a burnout out of the parking lot. You know, like don't do that. Do it in a Christ-like manner. I say that because one time I had a job in college and that's how I left. It was in, in... and it was not Christ. I didn't know Jesus at that time. That's my excuse. That's a bad way to quit a job. Also, as an employer, I'm an employer, you can fire people in a Christ-like manner. This sounds crazy. It may be the best thing you've ever done for them, to pull them aside and say, you can't show up on time. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. We're going to have to let you go. It may be the best wake-up call that people have ever gotten, and you can do that in a Christ-like manner. Now, this is interesting. I don't know if you, you, so not only does the Bible not condone slavery, the Bible is the most progressive piece of religious literature ever written. Progressive in a good way. What I mean by that is the Bible is all about equality of all people. So when Paul sent this letter to the church at Ephesus, they open it up. It was actually on a scroll, but let's pretend it was in a book form. They open it up. They would have read this to the entire church. Get this, 60% statistically would have been people who were in slavery in some form or fashion. So 60% of the people hearing this are like, wait a second, God says I am equal to my master? That there is no favoritism in the eyes of God? This is echoed all throughout the Bible. Paul says in another book of the Bible, there is no male or female, there is no slave or free, there is no Jew or Gentile. You're all one in Christ, which means it doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter how much is in your bank account. Jesus loves all of you equally, and all of you have equal access to God. So whenever people say things like, well, I don't know if the Bible teaches equality, it is the most progressive book on equality ever written, that all people have equal access and equal love and care from God, the creator. That is very important for us to know, okay? Now let's talk about this full armor thing. Finally, because this is kind of the last piece of advice that that, uh, Paul's gonna give the Ephesians, 
Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's the Bible. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Look at this, Paul says, pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. If you, if you haven't been here, he was literally an ambassador in chains. He was in a jail in Rome awaiting his execution. And Paul is basically saying, pray that when I get put in front of the emperor that I, that I stand my ground, that I stick to my guns, okay? So if you haven't been here, here's a, a pretty good 30,000 foot view of Ephesians. Chapters one through three, saved by grace through faith. Chapter four and five, because we've been saved by grace, uh, uh, so we've been saved by grace through faith, we are to live at a high standard and that we're to imitate God. And then chapter six in the end of chapter five is about submission and about putting on the full armor of God. Now I told you earlier, I'm gonna be very anticlimactic. I'm gonna be very underwhelming today. Putting on the armor of God is a simple metaphor for reading the Bible and doing what it tells us to do. That's it. Paul just uses a lot of really nice hyperbole, a lot of really pretty writing to basically say, don't just hear what I'm telling you to do, do what I'm telling you to do. Put on the principles of God. Again, it is not enough to know the truth, we must live in the truth for it to be effective in our lives, right? You ever met someone that has like a master's degree or a PhD, but they just sit on their couch and don't do anything? All that knowledge in the world is no good unless you go apply for jobs and go use it, right? And, and, and it's not to say, I mean, I'm all about some education, but all that education without action doesn't do anything. This is exactly what putting on the armor is all about. And when we put on the armor of God, when we apply biblical principles to our lives, we are able to stand up against the schemes of the devil. So we need spiritual armor, not literal armor, spiritual armor, because we are in a spiritual fight, not a physical fight. It's not like the movies, right? where Keanu Reeves has a shotgun shaped like a cross shooting demons. That's not how it works. It's Constantine, if you've never seen it. That's not how it works. It is a spiritual battle. We fight not against flesh and blood. We fight against 
authorities, rulers, spiritual cosmic darkness, spiritual forces. So how do we fight? I say the same three things I say to you every weekend. We pray, we read and trust the word of God, and we do what it tells us to do. And if we pray, if we read the word of God and do what it tells us to do, we are not only able to resist, we are able to take a stand, Paul says. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take all the wind out of the sails from the, from the end of this lesson. If we cannot be Christians in 2022, you're not gonna be able to be a Christian in 2023. Amen. What I mean by that is, it's only going to get more difficult. Well, why do you say that, Corey? Because it's what the Bible says. The Bible says until Jesus comes back, it's going to be like labor pains. I'm not a woman, but I can imagine the closer that that child gets to exiting your body, the more excruciating the pain becomes, right? And so this is what Jesus said the end of time will look like. It's not going to get easier before I come back. It's going to become more difficult. So if we cannot hold on to our faith in the freest nation that has ever existed, we're in, we're in deep, deep trouble, guys. We have to pray. We have to read the word. We have to do what it tells us to do. And if, we're, if we are not doing these things, we will not be able to stand up for what's coming against us. And so we don't talk about this enough. We do not talk about spiritual things nearly enough in Christian churches in the United States. Not only has our culture become spiritually numb, Christians in the United States have become spiritually numb. And in this, we have limited ourselves to the material. That if I don't have this material thing, I cannot be fixed. If I do not have this material thing, and I'm not just talking about nice cars and money and clothes, if I don't eat this, if I don't drink that, right? If I don't have these things, I just can't make it. And so we have to acknowledge that Christians, as Christians, that there are legitimate demonic forces at work in the world. We are in a spiritual battle. Corey, that sounds really extreme. It is just really biblical. It talks about it a lot in the Bible. I remember there was a story a couple years ago. Some of you might remember this story. It was pretty horrific. It was in uh, Miami-Dade County three, four years ago. I can't remember. There was a homeless man sleeping by the freeway, and um, there was another gentleman who, who stripped off all of his clothes, not the homeless man, the, the gentleman who eventually attacked, stripped down naked, jumped on this homeless man, and proceeded to eat his face while he was still alive. Yeah. So two cops show up, they're yelling, get off, get off, get off. The guy wouldn't get off. The, the, the two police officers had to unload two clips on this guy before he dropped. Of course, the news story was, man, this guy had to be hopped up on something. That's when bath salts and all this stuff were big in the news. He had to be hopped up on something. So they do an autopsy. No drugs in his system. And so instantly, my mind goes to, dude was demonically possessed, right? You have a devil in you when you do something this crazy. We don't like to talk about that because in the United States, we're too evolved for things like that, right? We're, we're, we're too intelligent for things like demonic possession and oppression and in the talk of these kinds of things. But it's interesting. You go back and read the Gospels. Well, Corey, why would you say it was demonic possession? I don't know for a fact, but that's where I go to. Because there's a story in the Gospel, there was a man named Legion. He was full of all kinds of demons. And no one could walk around the area where he lived because he would attack and almost kill people that walked that way. So Jesus comes through, right? Casts a thousand demons out of a guy. They run into pigs. They run into the sea. This really, really crazy story that's in the gospel. There are times when Paul walked around 
And people were swearing and cursing him and saying awful things because they were demonically possessed. And Paul would turn around and cast demons out of them. Guys, let me push you a little bit. There was even a time that a child had demonic oppression and kept throwing himself into a fire. These things are in the Bible. But again, in the Western world, we think that we're too intellectual for these things. But it's real. I don't care if we neglect it or not. And you know what we've done in our culture? Is we have opened so many spiritual doors out of ignorance in our society, even amongst Christians. I didn't say this at the other services, but I've been invited into people's homes before who they say they see things and they feel things. And I will say, what have you invited into this house? Well, what do you mean? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are your kids watching? What are they reading? What are you listening to? What things have you opened up the door into your house? Well, Corey, you're so nuts. These are all biblical principles. Jesus said what you let in through the senses contaminates the soul. Oh, Jesus, you're so silly, right? And we as Christians think that we are too intellectual for such things. And we need to be careful of this. We need to pray for the, the Bible calls the gift of discernment. Some translations say the gift of discerning spirits. Amen. Because there are evil things around you. Yes. And we need the gift of discernment. We need the gift of wisdom. Amen. We need to believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we are full of the Spirit, you don't have to be afraid of these things, oh. right? That if we are full of the Holy Spirit, those things at the name of Jesus, the Bible says, they have to please, flee so we can pray with confidence if we are in a relationship with Jesus. We do not talk about these things enough. We do not talk about deliverance enough in the Christian church, right? Therapy has taken the place of repentance in Christianity. Everyone thoroughly offended yet? We'll get there here in a second. We'll go even deeper with that. Listen, I'm all about counseling. I go to a counselor. But therapy and counseling does not take the place of me talking to my heavenly father and saying, I am sorry for the things I've done. Amen. We'll get there, guys. <laughs> so let's talk about this. Let's talk about, let's talk about applying the armor of God. The first thing is, is we have to wear the belt of truth. Again, these are metaphors, correct? All that means is that we have to accept that this is the truth. That is the, that is the foundation. Listen, if you don't believe this is the truth, then the rest of our conversation today is completely null and void. There's, there's no good of listening to me anymore if you don't believe this is the truth. This is the, the, the basis, the foundation. We have to wear the belt of truth. Look how these build on each other. If we understand this to be the truth, then we will put on the breastplate of righteousness, which means we will not just acknowledge that that's the truth, we will live by that truth. And when we live by that truth, we become righteous people, not perfect, but the Bible says to be holy as God is holy, not perfect as God is perfect, holy as God is holy, which means we have a desire to live the way God wants us to live, which means when we sin, we tell God we're sorry and we take the steps to get away from doing those evil things. So we accept the truth, we live the truth, and when, listen, when we know the truth and live the truth, we are ready to act. That when life sends us crazy stuff, it doesn't say that we don't sometimes get knocked back a little bit or that it's not difficult. But when we have a strong relationship with God, when we're full of the Holy Spirit, when we have the truth of the word of God in our hearts and minds, when the world goes nuts, we don't slip into paranoia. We don't slip into fear. We don't slip into chaos because we're living out the promises of God and we have peace in that. 
So again, it doesn't shock me that our government's falling apart. It doesn't shock me that the economy's you know, tanking. It doesn't shock me that there's talk of nuclear war and threats. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said all this stuff's gonna happen. It's all gonna, so we shouldn't be shocked by any of this. And we should be ready to respond to all of this stuff. We also have the shield of faith, which means that though doubt may seep in, sometimes we reject that doubt. Why do we reject that doubt? Because we look back on our past and we see how many times God has worked in our life and God has never failed me in the past, so why would he fail me now or in the future? I reject that doubt. Now listen, all of us are going to have doubt at some time. We're going, and that doesn't make you a bad person. How do I know this? We go back to the Bible. John the Baptist had doubts sometimes. In fact, when he was in jail about to get his, cut, his head cut off, he said, someone go find me Jesus and make sure that he's the right guy. There was, that's what he did. And he was mocked for that. Jesus heard that he was being mocked and said, wait a second, let me tell you about John the Baptist. He's the greatest person that's ever been created, Jesus said. And he had doubt. I'm gonna tell you something. Every single one of you in this room will look in the mirror at one time or another and think you're crazy for believing what you believe. But then you look back at all the things God has done in your life and you can reject that doubt and you can trust in God's word and trust in your own testimony. We also wear the helmet of salvation. What that simply means is this. It is an acknowledgement that this is not our permanent home. Thank God, right? I would feel gypped if it was. This is not our permanent home, that we have the hope of an eternity with Jesus. But here's the thing. Not only do we have a hope in our eternity with Jesus, but while we are in this temporary home, we live by Jesus's value system. So we're not in heaven yet, but we live by the value system of heaven right now. That is our salvation, the hope of our eternity. And then the sword of the spirit is, of course, the Bible, that we are using the truth and the knowledge of this book not only to hold off evil, but to overcome evil, to tackle evil, to, to address evil in ourselves, our families, our schools, our society, our workplace, whatever the case may be, and that we make an advancement against evil. So then he says, after mentioning all the armor, Paul says, now with that, pray at all times. And not only pray at all times, remain alert. So before Paul asks them to pray for him, because he's about to go into a tough situation, he's in jail, he's about to face Nero, he knows that he's probably gonna be executed. Before he tells them to, 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 to pray for him, he says, make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're alert. Because Jesus wants to help us, listen to this, but we oftentimes run to everything before Jesus. In many Christians' life, Jesus has become the last resort Hail Mary pass. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. Listen, there are some things in this life that therapy, pills, food, drugs, sex, entertainment, distraction, there are some things in life that those things can't fix. It has to be the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? What we do in Christianity, and this is where I'm gonna offend somebody, but I wanna make sure I clarify. We use things like mental health as the great scapegoat of our time. And nothing is sin, nothing is bad action with ramifications and consequences, it's just mental health. Well, my husband sometimes puts his hands on me because he's bipolar. No, he's in sin. And he needs to address that sin. 
and he needs to let God touch his heart and renew his mind. Amen. We, we, we use this scapegoat so often, right? Well, it's this, it's that, it's this and that. that there's a reason why the Bible says that there is a renewing of the mind. Amen. And sometimes sin, man, I gotta be so careful with this, because some people will mis, misconstrue what I'm saying and they say, well, Corey, you don't believe in medicine? Of course I do. My sister's a, uh, sister-in-law is a doctor. I have an uncle that's a doctor. I believe in medicine. Um, I believe in counseling. I go to one once a month. He's a great man. Son comes to church here. I go to a counselor. I believe in those things. But I also believe that we have used so many excuses to skirt the fact that we may have deep spiritual problems that are causing these things. You know what's interesting? So many things are blamed on mental health. If you go to, if you go to Africa, if you go to Uganda, they have no access to pharmaceuticals. Their, their pharmaceuticals are Advil and penicillin, right? That's the, that's the height of their, their, their pharmaceuticals. There's no access to pharmaceuticals. There's no access to counseling. They don't have you know, life coaches on every corner and things like that. In Uganda, Africa, they don't have counseling services or anything like that. And you know what's remarkable is there's no talk of mental health. So if it's all biological, why is it not happening to anyone in Africa? Is it just sequestered to the Western world? Or could it be that we opened up some spiritual doors? Amen, yes. Now that can make you mad at me. And you can be mad at me all you want. You can send me an email, it goes through Fred first. He'll see it, he can deal with it, right? <laughs> but I think oftentimes we use every opportunity possible to skirt what is really at the root of what is going on, okay? And if that hurts your feelings, my, my intention is not to hurt your feelings. Um, but my intention is for us to get to the truth. Amen. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves hard questions, yes. right? Can I tell you, real quick, real quick, and I'm taking way too much time. I remember one time a young man came into my office, this is years ago, and, 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 and he wouldn't mind me telling the story. He came into my office and he said, Corey, I'm on, I'm on several antidepressants right now. And I've been on antidepressants. I'm not on them anymore. And listen, again, there are times and places for some of that. I will say it's a very soft science, but, but anyways, that's just according to the Mayo Clinic. But anyways, um, so he came into my office and he says, I'm on, I'm on several antidepressants. And I said, well, well, tell me why you would be on those. He goes, well, my mother passed away a month ago. So my mother passed away a month ago. I went to a doctor and they gave me these drugs to help me with that. And my response to this individual was, do you think there is something physio physiologically wrong with your brain? Well, no. Well, if I don't have cancer, I'm not gonna go through chemo. Amen. Here's the other thing. If my mother just died, you're supposed to be sad. Yes. You're supposed to work. That's why, you have, that's why you have me as a counselor. That's why you have a church community. That's why you have the, 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 the word to help you through this. This is why we have the Holy Spirit to be, the Bible says, the comforter. Yes. This is why we have these things. You don't need to evade those feelings. No. We need to walk with God through those feelings. Yes. Yes. But so often, because here's the thing, and I'm not trying to be mean to anyone in this room, but we live in a culture to where I need this problem fixed now. And we do not want to go through the walking and the relationship and the reading and the praying and the counsel. We don't want to go through these things. We want it fixed and we want it fixed by Tuesday, right? Or I don't want to deal with it anymore. I love you guys. Someone needs to hear that truth. Let me read this next part and you guys can, can write those emails. 
Tychicus, that's a fun word, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me so that you may be informed. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know that we are and to, uh, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this last line. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says goodbye. He closes out this letter with kind of a brief synopsis of where he is. He sends his messenger Tychicus to, to continue to encourage the church because he can't, he's in jail. So he is in prison. This is very important. I want you to hear this. If you've been through anything bad in your life, it's all of us, you need to hear this. Paul is writing a letter of encouragement from prison where he knows he's about to be beheaded. Corey, no one knows how I feel. You're not the only human on planet Earth. You're not the only human on planet Earth who has been through something like what you've been through. This is why the church is very, very important. It is very important that we hear that other people have been through similar things like we have been through and have held on to their faith. It's an encouragement to the church. It's an encouragement to us as individuals. So there was a really tragic situation in my family about a year and a half ago um, um, where my brother-in-law passed away. And, and my, my wife, who is a very faithful person, but it's hard, right? Hard nights, things trigger you to think about things and it's tough. And, and recently, my wife got to meet another lady who comes to one of our campuses, and I'm trying to be sensitive, not tell too much, but went through a very, very similar situation. And in the middle of all these terrible ashes, Something beautiful sparked up from that, this, this friendship and this community that was sparked from that. And my wife got to hear that someone else went through a very similar thing and that person got to hear and there was, there was healing in that and comfort in that and both of them held on to their faith. So in the middle of our circumstances, we need other people because we're not always thinking clearly because tragedy has happened, bad things have happened, confusion. So yes, we need God, you need other people too. This is why the church is so vitally important. And so this letter concludes. Typically, people would write letters in this time and they would say, uh, they would say prosperity and health to you, right? Hope you're healthy and, and hope you're prosperous. Hope you're financially in good shape, right? That's, that's how they would typically end letters. Paul doesn't end it like that. He says, I hope that you experience grace. I hope that you have undying love. And so he gets to the deeper things, right? Not about necessarily health and wealth, though that, I'm sure Paul wished that on them. I hope you're all healthy and I hope you can all pay your bills. There's nothing wrong with that. But Paul said, even before those things, I hope your heart is okay. I hope your soul is okay and that you experience the love of God forever. Let me go through this a little bit quicker, just to recap. From today, children obey your parents, Parents, raise your children in the ways of God. Amen. And when we do that, everyone is better for it. Everyone is better for it. One could also argue that this works in this family. I know you and I are not blood relatives, but you're my brother, you're my sister. I am to serve you and you are to serve me, right? Not because I'm a pastor and you're a congregant, but just as brothers and sisters of Christ. Yes. We are to be outdoing each other with honor, the Bible says serving each other, mutually submitted as the family of God. We are also to submit in our workplace. Wherever you work, 
And I'm, I'm not trying to make light of maybe you work in a terrible situation, but wherever you are, where God has you now, work hard. Work with a good attitude. Why? Because you're ultimately working for Jesus and you're ultimately representing Jesus. And even if you never get that promotion, even if no one ever pats you on the back, even if you don't get that raise you know you deserve, I promise you God will repay you. I promise you God sees it and he is faithful to reward the good things that we have done. Now, if you're on the leadership side of that, right? If you're on the leadership side of it, we are called to lead with discipline. Yes, discipline people, but do it with grace. Do it with a gentle spirit. And, and if you're a leader in this room, and again, most of you will be in some form of leadership in some point in your life, when we are leading well, we are submitting back to the needs of those that follow us. So it is a cyclical kind of symbiotic circle, right? You work and serve me, I work and serve for you. And then we work this together. That's what good leaders do. That's how Jesus modeled it, right? I came here to serve, not to be served, Jesus said. Now, let me ask you some questions when it comes to putting on the armor of God. The first one is this. Are we choosing to live by the principles and teachings of the Bible? In other words, do we believe, regardless of what culture says, regardless if you might be canceled, regardless of any of those things, right? Are we, are we standing on the fact that this is the truth? This is the truth. Are we living out to these truths? Are we fully repentant of and are we moving away from sin? We're not just called to know the truth, we are called to be righteous people, not perfect. We're gonna make mistakes. But when we make mistakes, when a righteous person makes a mistake and sins, they repent for it and they want to get away from that. Amen. They want to live the way God wants them to live. Are we doing that? We don't just know the truth, are we doing the truth? And when we're doing these first two things, we are ready for what life throws at us. Amen. That doesn't mean that we don't stumble sometimes. It doesn't mean that we don't get lonely sometimes. It doesn't mean that sometimes doubt creeps in there a touch. But when we're living in a relationship with God and the promises of God, not only are we ready to react, but we're, we're ready to act. We're ready to, to, to move forward. We're ready to gain ground that we don't have to live in that debilitating fear or anxiety or, or, or sadness and hopelessness, that we can move forward. But we have to know the truth, live the truth, be ready to act, reject doubt when it creeps in, stay clear of temptations. I used the, the, the worst example ever last week, right? If you struggle with lust, though it's not a sin to watch Baywatch, may artistically be a sin, but though it's not a sin to watch Baywatch, I wouldn't recommend you even dabble in that, right? Stay away from that temptation. If you, if you struggle with alcohol, it is not a sin to drink. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to drink. In fact, Paul told Timothy, if your stomach hurts, drink a glass of wine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you, study, if you struggle with alcoholism, you know, put your seatbelts on, don't go to bars. Don't hang around people who drink. Amen. Stay away from that. Because in that staying away from temptation, we protect our faith. Protect our faith. Are we walking in our salvation? Are we walking in the hope of Jesus coming back? Do we look forward to Jesus coming back? Yes. If you don't, you don't have a teenage daughter. I look forward. <laughs> Jesus, please come back before my daughter starts dating, right? That's the prayer. 
Are we living in obedience? Are we living in grace? Not abusing grace, but are we living in grace? Are we, are we living in security? Well, Corey, have you seen the news? I have, and, and I'm not afraid. Amen. I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying that to sound like a tough guy. I'm just saying, man, if your hope's in the, in the U.S. government, you should be very afraid. If your hope is in the economy, you should be afraid. If your hope is in the stability of, of world governments and powers, you should be afraid. Amen. But that's not where mine is. Nope. <laughs> that's why Jesus, when he was in front of Pontius Pilate, and Pilate said, where is your kingdom? And he said, it's not here. Amen. It's not in this world. Because that's not where our hope lies. Our salvation gives us a hope because we know what the future is going to be if we're in a relationship with Jesus. Are we using the Bible as a weapon against evil? Listen, even in society, there is, there is homelessness and there are people in jail and there are people who don't have enough to eat. And that's why Jesus said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And someone goes, well, how did we do that, Jesus? You were never in prison. He goes, no, 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 no. When, when, people, when, when you went and visited other people in prison, when you fed the homeless, when you, fed the, uh, when you clothed the naked, you did that for me because those are my people. The, the word of God changes not just our hearts and our family. It can change societies if we'll just put it into work. But we have to take the teachings of this book and go out and live those to address evil. Are you saved? How do you know? Have you accepted God's, God, God's free gift of salvation through faith? If we're quick to say, yes, I'm saved, then it should be evident in the fact that we are walking in a newness of life. Because when we're saved by God's grace, we start to understand who we are. And when we understand who we are, we understand the value at which we are. And we live in a way that honors the one that saved us. Not perfect, but we strive for righteousness. When we strive for righteousness, we are submitted to God. And listen, when we're submitted to God, we become humble people and we submit ourselves to each other. We submit in our marriages, we submit in our families, and we submit in our workplace, we submit with this family. Yes. We, we become servants of humanity, not consumers of, of, of humanity. That's not, that's not condoned by the Bible. Are we submitted to God? And if we are, we will be submitted to people. Here's the, the again, I told you it'd be anticlimactic. Are we wearing, Paul says, the full armor? It's not enough just to have one or two of those pieces on. We have to be fully strapped up, fully strapped up. Because like I said earlier, right? Listen, if, if we can't hold on to the truth, if we can't live and walk in the truth now, and I'm not trying to be the most pessimistic person right before Thanksgiving, that's not what I'm trying to be. But, but, but I love you. And I wanna be honest with you. I remember when I taught the book of Revelation for the last time in 2018, four years ago, I remember teaching that. And I remember in 2018, before COVID and all that stuff and church was shut down for three months and everything started to really fall apart, I remember saying, guys, if we can't live for Jesus now, we're not gonna be able to live for Jesus 10 years from now, five years from now. It's only going to get more difficult. Why? Because the Bible tells us that. I said that earlier, Jesus attributed it to labor pains. The closer that deliverance comes, the more painful it's going to be. 
The reason I'm saying this to you today is not to make you feel bad. It's not to make you feel like you're less than. It's not to, to, to make you feel like you're, you're a screw up or any of that. I'm telling you this because I love you. And I'm telling you this because I feel like God is maybe trying to get some of our attentions that we have to make putting on the armor of God a priority, which simply means this, you have to pray. You have to pray every day. You need to pray when you wake up. You need to pray before you go to bed. You need to periodically check in with God because there are a million things trying to pull you away from righteousness. There are spiritual forces. And again, I'm not trying to sound dramatic. All hell is against you. Yes. It is against you. And it doesn't come in the form of the movies where someone gets possessed and their head spins around and they vomit out green goo. That's not the way it comes. The Bible says in Genesis chapter three that the devil is subtle. Yes. It's this subtle degradation yes. that happens over time. And before you know it, we're distant from God. And our families are broken. And our relationships are broken. You have to pray. Not only do you have to pray, listen, it has to be a priority in your life. You have to make reading the Bible a part of your life. Yes. You have to do that. Even if it's just a half a chapter a day, even if it's just you downloading the YouVersion app on your phone and listening to a chapter on your way to work, Amen. you have to find a way to get this truth into your heart, into your mind, because the armor, right? It is the only thing that will protect you from the attacks of the, of the devil. Even prayer alone is not enough. We have to know the truth because that's the only way we can live the truth is to know it and it is right here. You and I have to be serious and we have to take this stuff seriously because it's not going to get any easier. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and, and maybe you're not a believer or maybe you're a new believer, but you have some questions, either one. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Rachel is up here. She helps with all of our life groups. If you would like to, to ask her any questions, talk to her, she'd love to talk with you. We also have men and women up here on the right and left if you need prayer for anything. Anything in your life, it doesn't matter. Health issues, personal issues, finances, job, moving, it doesn't matter. Listen, if, 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 if you're in this room this morning and maybe you run to everything before you run to God and you feel conviction over that, just come up and talk to someone. Hey, pray for me. I feel like God's my last resort when he should be my first. Talk to somebody. Let them pray with you. We also have communion all the way around this room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, and if you're sitting in the middle, there's, there's disposable communion on these posts. Communion is simple, just like this message today was simple. Communion is bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus. That, that we can be reminded not only how much God loves us, but that God sent his only son to give up his body and shed his blood to not only forgive us of sin, but because of the cross and the resurrection, we have the Holy Spirit. 
We have the Holy Spirit that, that we can be protected, that we can have that, that comfort and that counsel. That, that we have, the Bible says we don't, we don't live in fear. We don't have a spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of sound mind and of power because of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're well protected if we're full of the Holy Spirit. And that's because of the cross. All of us are welcome to take communion today as long as you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, okay? I wanna pray for you because I love you and I care for you. God, Father, I, I pray that you put a sense of urgency in, in all, including myself, God, all of us, including myself. Lord, that, that we have a prayer life. Lord, that we, we block off and prioritize time to, to read your word or to hear your word. Lord, I pray that we put your word in our minds and our hearts. I pray that we don't just hear the word. I pray that we act on it, that we live in it, that we do it. Because God, the days are dark. God, because there, there are evil days presently and even more evil days in the future. And we've got to be full of your spirit. We've got to be full of the knowledge of your word or we will not be able to stand. So God, please be with us. Strengthen us, encourage us as we spend time with family this week, as we, hopefully we get to rest a little bit this week. Lord, let us truly be thankful, God, for you, for what you've done for us, Lord. Be with us till we meet again. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.